Welcome to The Ride Podcast by the Horse and Rider editorial team. The Ride takes you on a deep dive into stories of horse men and women who have inspired us for generations. I'm your host, Michaela Jaycox, and I will be taking you into the Horse and Rider vault to explore stories crafted by leading authors in horse and rider history to expand your understanding of the personalities that shape this Western horse life. This episode of The Ride is brought to you by U.S. Rider. U.S. Rider is the premier equestrian roadside assistance program in the industry. Membership includes 24-7 nationwide roadside assistance coverage in any vehicle you are traveling in, as well as coverage for horse trailers, whether you have horses on board or not. In addition, members receive an extensive package of discounts on equine-related goods and services, regular equine travel and safety information, and insurance products to fit all of your needs as a horse owner or business. Two levels of membership are available to meet the needs of all horse enthusiasts, owners, competitors, and business people. Coverage includes towing up to 100 miles for truck and or trailer, roadside repair service, tire repair and replacement, lockout service, jump starts and fuel delivery, an emergency stabling, barrier, and vet referral. If you're interested in U.S. Rider, use promo code RIDE19. Welcome back to the Ride Podcast. This episode, we will be doing a profile on John Hoyt. So, Chelsea, Nicole, do you guys have anything exciting about this profile? Well, the original title of the story that Jenny Meyer wrote um, is Bad Boy John Hoyt, which is kind of funny. And I think it's something that John Hoyt is a legendary reigning trainer, um, world-renowned, but I think that bad boy thing he kind of has in common with a lot of the great trainers that I've known. They have um, kind of an arrogance about them and a confidence that is absolutely necessary to beat the best in the world. Um, and I think that's what I, that was my big takeaway from this piece, that there must be a common vein of confidence that runs through all these great horsemen. Yeah, I think um, one thing that you see over and over in this feature it, when you're talking to some of these uh, people who rode with him who are now really, really well-known horse trainers in very different aspects of the sport. You know, you have Holly Hover, who is a well-known all-around judge and trainer, but then you also have um, Al Dunning, who I think our horse and rider audience is very familiar with, and he's also worked with him. So, but the thing that uh, everybody seems to say is that he wasn't afraid to tell you how it is. You know, he wasn't going to lie to you. He wasn't going to sugarcoat it. He was just going to let you know how you needed to fix it and um, he also stood up for you when you weren't around. So he, he was definitely uh, one of a kind. Yeah, and another thing that I think um, that was one of my big, one of my favorite things about this piece that Michaela's about to read to you is Jenny's writing style throughout. She really does a wonderful job with all kinds of different techniques that I think will come through really nicely in a podcast form um, of taking you into different moments with John. Um, those moments are what, you know, tiny little moments shape a lifetime. And those little tiny moments will really tell you about who he is. And she did such a wonderful job of selecting those moments that she was there, um, that she witnessed, that people told her about, that really illustrate his character. So um, I'm excited to to hear this one and, and hear how it comes through in audio. Yeah, I'm also excited about what you said, how it's written. I feel like I learned so much about John Hoyt in the time that I have spent reading this profile so before reading this profile, I was unfamiliar with John Hoyt, but after going through and reading it, I feel like I kind of know who he is and am personalized with him. 
Yeah, and his work, um, he's, he's been gone now since uh, December 20th, 2016, uh, but his work, especially with guys like Al Dunning, you'll see on the pages of Horse and Rider still today, some of his techniques, some of his beliefs, um, his horsemanship uh, is, is long-lasting, like all the greats, so excited for y'all to get to know him. Yeah, so I guess now we will dive into this profile. Close-up, bad boy John Hoyt. The stories about this horseman are legion. Here's his true tale, first published in December 1997 issue of Horse and Rider. The NRHA Hall of Fame member died December 20th, 2016. John Hoyt was featured as one of Horse and Rider's 50 great riders in April of 2011. The 11-year-old girl and her mother climb out of their car at the Arizona Horse Lovers Club in Phoenix, not knowing what to expect. On the basis of a magazine article, the mother has taken her daughter to trainer John Hoyt for help with lead changes, driving from their Colorado home during a spring vacation. They know the trainer is good, but they've also heard he's scary, whatever that means, and now he's eyeing them intently. Are those new spurs, he asks, referring to the clip-ons the girl is wearing on her black high-top boots. Why, yes, Mr. Hoyt, they are, says the girl, pleased that he's noticed. Clip-ons are all the rage in 1969, and hers are a recent Christmas gift. Let me see them, he says. Off they come with a ping, and the girl hands them to the trainer. He holds them in both hands as if they were wishbones, and with one quick, sure motion, snaps them in two. Now, go get yourself some spurs, he says, watching silently as they slip back into their car, stunned, and drive away. Holly Hover's introduction to the trainer is a typical John Hoyt story. It describes a man who's unapologetically honest and blunt to the point of rudeness. Still, Hover went on to develop a long-term association with the horseman and is now a quarter horse trainer herself. Today, she speaks with great fondness of that bad boy John Hoyt. Like all who know him well, she realizes that his crusty surface hides a soft core. The growling grizzly, it seems, has the heart of a teddy bear. I've been called everything from a cupcake to a demon, acknowledges the 68-year-old horseman who now resides in Lone Oak, Texas. About anything you would write would be the truth. Well, not exactly. Still, his is a long and colorful past, one that shaped his character and forged the larger-than-life persona that all but obscures the real person. We're going to take you behind the stories to find the real John Hoyt, the lifelong horseman, legendary competitor, and ongoing inspiration to countless others. We'll give you a close look at the trainer who's qualified for more than 20 American Quarter Horse Association world shows in a row, produced scores of world and all-around champions, and consistently gotten more out of ordinary horses than many could get out of superstars. We'll also examine the inner resources that make him the kind of legend that can ride right out of the history books and beat you, even today. Along the way, of course, we'll share a few more tales, because you can't tell the story of John Hoyt without telling a few John Hoyt stories. No fear. It's the early 70s at the Pomona Quarter Horse Show in Southern California. January rains have turned the show and practice pins into a sea of mud. Riders mill about trying to decide whether to go for it in their reigning and western riding classes. Are you gonna run? They ask one another in tentative tones. Then the practice pen gates open and John Hoyt rides in. With a word to no one, he gallops to the end of the arena and slides, 
spewing slop like an equine water skier. Suddenly, everyone is sliding and spinning, turning the arena into a mixmaster of brown goo. John is sure of himself. No doubt about it, says Grace Hoyt, John's wife of 20 years, and herself an accomplished horsewoman. He has a rock-solid confidence and approval that comes from within. It's his most remarkable quality. Trainer Jim Paul, who ran with John in the early days and shared many hard-partying Wild West capades with him, agrees. John would look you in the eye and say he could do better than you could in any event, says Paul. He was afraid of nothing and would fight anyone if push came to shove, even in a bar. Hoyt is offhand about his daring do. If you think you can do something and then you do, then you know you can do it, he says simply. Debbie Cooper, who trained with Jim Paul as a youth and has known John for over 30 years, says his chutzpah gives John an ease around others that few people share. He just doesn't care who you are, so he's never uncomfortable or intimidated, she says. He could attend the president's ball at the White House, and he'd just be John. And if that meant telling the president a thing or two. One thing's for sure. You don't want to be around him if you don't want to hear the truth, says quarter horse trainer Steve Archer. A lot of people tell you nice things to your face, then talk behind your back. Not him. If he doesn't like what you're doing, he'll say so. I've never been a politician, Hoyt admits. I just do and say what I think is right. Rainer Al Dunning, who apprenticed with Hoyt in the early 70s, appreciates the loyalty that keeps Hoyt from standing by while a friend is badmouthed. He gets in the face of whoever's doing the talking, says Dunning. That brand of forthrightness, along with the older trainer's equine expertise, is what inspired Dunning to become a horse trainer. I'd taken a different vocation if John hadn't crossed my path, he says. A genuine hand. As legendary as his bluntness and confidence is, Hoyt's ability to get the most out of any horse he rides. He's the John Wayne of the horse training business. He backs away from nothing, says bitmaker Greg Darnell, who apprenticed with the trainer and is by all accounts like a son to him. Today, we raise and ride wonderful horses that are specifically bred to do what we want. In his heyday, John rode a lot of horses that no one else would ride and made them great says Darnell, naming an example all done, a plain-looking, average mover whom Hoyt trained and rode to several national championships. According to Hoyt, there was a practical reason he managed to make ordinary horses shine. In those days, when someone brought you a horse, they loved that horse, and it might be the only one they had, he explains. You had to get something out of it. Nowadays, people just sell the horse and get another one. Another thing. I did a lot of different events, including roping, so it gave me more avenues to take a horse down. Nowadays, people specialize. True enough, but there's something to be said for a trainer so intent on his work that even today, he'll wake up in the middle of the night with a solution to a problem and head right out to the barn to see if it'll work. And as Dunning notes, John was whispering to horses before that even had a name. He could feel a horse better than anyone, and he knew what it was thinking. Once I asked him what he thought of a two-year-old I was really proud of. He said he'd be really good if I was riding him. When I asked what he meant, he told me I didn't have a good feel of the horse's mouth or sides. You need to know where each leg is without thinking about it, he said. Years later, when I was training professionally in my own arena, I was riding a western riding horse and suddenly realized I could finally do what he'd been talking about.
So that's it, I thought, and felt a little chill. Mad about horses. John Hoyt was born April 14, 1929, in Arcadia, California, just north of Los Angeles. His father died when he was three, and his mother, the cook at a private school, worked hard to provide for John and his five older siblings. The self-professed black sheep of the family says he can't remember a time when he wasn't crazy about horses. I'd crawl up on a fence or onto a manger to get up to a horse, he recalls. It was such a strong desire in me. Later, when he was old enough, he'd take off and be gone for days at a time. Being a strong-minded kid without a father, all I ever did was exactly what I wanted to do, and that was be with horses, he says. In some ways, the horses helped keep him out of trouble. I had friends who wound up in juvenile hall for stealing gas and tires while I was out riding. I did steal some rides from horses I'd catch in their pastures, he admits, adding that he sometimes got thrown off or run over in the process. By the time Hoyt was eight, racehorse owner Guy Corp was paying him to do menial chores, raking corrals, cleaning up manure, leading horses to water. He helped me get a social security number, John recalls. Corp's son-in-law, Don Pooch Labier, remembers the time well. Johnny was a good boy and a good hand. He was honest and you could always depend on him, says Labier. I taught him how to ride, then got him started in match racing. He was 13 or 14 by then, but didn't weigh more than 100 pounds. In the meantime, his school teachers found him difficult. I grew up too quick, maybe, John Hoyt says now. I may have been a smartass. One day during his freshman year in high school, after he'd spent a long weekend at a race meet in King City, California, his teacher refused to believe he'd been working. Young John boasted that he was earning more money than his teacher was, pulling $200 in cash out of his pocket to back up his words. Then he left school and never went back. When he grew too big to continue as a match race jockey, he joined his friend Dick Doyle in rodeoing where he could keep earning good money in the rough stuck events, calf roping, and wild cow milking. His forte was still racing, though, and there were various forms of it in rodeo, including chariot races, relay races, and the Roman riding race, where each jockey stands on the back of two horses, one foot on each. Hoyt heard of a job in Dragoon, Arizona, as a racehorse trainer for Rose Fulton, who owned one of the most successful quarter horse operations of the time. I really wanted to stick around in California and practice my calf roping, he says, but then I heard it was also a working ranch, and I'd be able to rope all I wanted. Plus, Miss Fulton only had one racehorse to train, so I went. Friends and family. The move proved pivotal for the young horseman. At 19, he was possibly the youngest licensed quarter horse race trainer in the country, running his one mount, Zantorina, at Tucson's Renault, Rotillo Park. The best she ever did was second, Hoyt recalls, but it didn't matter. He'd impressed the ranch foreman with his riding skills, and the Fulton Ranch was shifting its focus to show horses. Hoyt soon became the outfit's show horse trainer. In 1956, he rode Canyon Tony to the first all-around championship in Arizona, beginning a remarkable string of wins that established his name nationwide as a trainer of performance horses. Also in 56, he married Jane Williams, the couple's daughter. Betsy was born the following year. In 1958, the new family moved to Phoenix, where John leased a boarding stable, the Arizona Horse Lovers Club, and began training for the public. 
Over the next two decades, as Hoyt expanded his family with sons Tim, John Jr., and Frank, in his reputation as a trainer, he lived by what later wife Grace calls the Code of the West. You may drink and party half the night, but you still get up and go to work the next day, she explains. The formula took its toll on his personal life, as it did for many trainers of the day. Then, in 1974, Jane was killed in an automobile accident. After a brief and unsuccessful rebound marriage, John met Grace Harris in 1976. God sent Grace to John, no question of that, says Hover emphatically. The two married in 77, and Grace helped her husband through another loss, the suicide of his oldest son, Tim, in the early 1980s. There's nobody living without regrets, says Hoyt resolutely about his past, but you have to move on and just try not to travel down the same roads again. The trainer's resilience in the face of personal tragedy has had an impact on those around him. He taught me how to struggle through life's ups and downs, says Rainer Randy Paul, Jim Paul's son and Tim Hoyt's good friend. You just keep going. And the elder Hoyt would add, do what you can to help others along the way, especially the young. A 14-year-old girl is getting a last-minute coaching from her trainer before a stock seat medal class, and things aren't going well. Frustrated that his pupil isn't responding as he'd like, the trainer yells at the girl in the crowded warm-up pen. Embarrassed and unnerved, the girl is close to tears when John Hoyt rides up, tells the trainer to get out of the way, and takes over the prep session. He calms the girl, restores her confidence, and prepares her for the class, in which she'll compete against and beat Hoyt's own students. I'd been petrified of him before that, says Debbie Cooper today, but after he helped me, I knew he wasn't the mean, gruff guy that seemed on the surface. Hoyt's penchant for helping youngsters began early. As a preteen, he'd ride my three-year-old daughter's pony up to the house and help her learn to ride, recalls Pooch LeBeer. You could always count on him for unconditional support, even when you screwed up, says Hoyt's former student, Becky Dunning. Randy Paul concurs. He was the kind of guy you wanted to grow up to be like. Greg Darnell claims Hoyt kept me from having to go to a foster home. Grace praises her husband's raising of her daughter, Justine, whom the trainer emboldened with confidence. By some estimates, most of the youngsters riding in Arizona in the 60s and 70s were aided by Hoyt in one way or another. And it's the same today, says Archer. If our youth kids get wind of a visit, they'll pester us. Is John coming? Is John coming? Looking ahead, at the barn in Lone Oak that Hoyt leases from his business partner, Robert Carruth, the trainer leads a handsome three-year-old filly out of her stall and ties her for grooming. He runs a brush over her rich red coat, then attacks her tail with a hairbrush. Tacked up and mounted, the filly carries him out to the arena, stepping obediently through the gates like a trail horse. Hoyt warms her up, then treats his guest to a series of soft, pretty sliding stops, using no rain at all. Afterward, he leans over and rubs his horse's neck. I just love this little mare, he says, voice heavy with emotion. Her mama was one of the sweetest horses I ever rode, and this mare's just as sweet. The filly is Ladies Boomernick by National Reigning Horse Association for charity champion Boomernick and out of Lady Kuiper. She shows evidence of much patient training. Most people only see what they think is a rough side of his training, says Grace of her husband's methods. But what has always struck me is his gentle side. No one breaks colts better or gives them more confidence. 
Holly Hover speaks of a sort of golden rule for horses she learned from Hoyt. He told me, you work all day, then go home and shower, have dinner, and go to your soft bed. Your horse deserves his comforts too. Ladies Boomernick is Hoyt's NRHA Futurity hopeful, and he's excited about her prospects. Then again, he's always excited about the future. There are more good horses now, better horsemanship, riding conditions, equipment, everything, he says. I don't think the good old days were better. I always think everything I'm going to do will be the best. Besides, he adds, there's nothing worse than a past champion telling you how great he was. An American steps into a bar near Frankfurt, Germany. He's come looking for a friend who got lost and called him from this bar. He walks in on a curious scene. There, in the midst of beer-drinking German, sits his friend, John Hoyt, laughing and carrying on. The Germans don't speak English. Hoyt doesn't speak German. No one seems to notice. It wasn't a European vacation. Hoyt was in Germany training or judging or conducting one of many clinics. He doesn't take many genuine vacations, but if you ask him about it, he says without thinking that he's on vacation all the time. Archer swears a dealer in Las Vegas once observed of Hoyt, man, this guy looks like he could have fun anywhere. He can and he does, but he's also an incredible worker. I wish I could go as hard as he does, says Archer. He can still drive all night to a show, then ride all day the next day. That stamina isn't inborn, for he's no health or fitness freak. That's my wife, he says. He did, however, let Grace talk him into quitting smoking and dipping ten years ago. He stopped cold turkey after doing both, often at the same time for 40 years, she says. He doesn't worry too much about it, though. He doesn't worry, period. Life's too damn short, he says. In an odd way, Grace notes losing his father so early may have contributed to his mental toughness. It didn't make him bitter. It made him stronger, she says. He's helped me to be stronger, too, to give up the need to know in advance how everything's going to be. And although the proliferation of John Hoyt stories sometimes exasperates him, he's philosophical about it. It's when they stop talking about you that you have to worry, he says. Besides, if I'd done all the things people say I've done, I'd have to be 150 years old. And, anyway, for every story about bad boy John Hoyt, there are two like this. It's July of 1997, and Randy Paul has just ridden Out of My Way Jose to win the NRHA Derby. John Hoyt enters the arena to congratulate him. You look just like Jim Paul on that last stop, he says. I'm so proud of you. Then, teasing, he adds, Don't you wish your dad was still here to see you? Randy looks at him meaningfully. Yeah, but you'll do. We would like to once again thank our friends at U.S. Rider for bringing you this episode of The Ride. Remember to also use promo code RIDE19. And for this episode's Home for Every Horse, brought to you by A Home for Every Horse, A Home for Every Horse was created in 2011 and result to a partnership between the Equine Network the nation's leading publisher of equine-related content, and the American Horse Council's United Horse Coalition. The program provides resources for 501c3 horse organizations. Visit ahomeforeveryhorse.com for more information. This episode's horse is Evolution. Evolution is a stunning 2007 BLM Bay Mare. She seems pretty cool.
Yeah, she's a good mover. They say she needs a confident rider, um, which, you know, I think most horses do, so that's no big deal. Um, and she really likes to go forward, they said, which I love personally. They can kind of make good all-around horses, western riding, um, English, anything you want to do. I think this horse definitely has good bone, good structure. Not yeah. too old. They they think that she'll make a really good western dressage horse. So if you're looking to venture into that industry, I think it would be really cool to to bring in a Mustang who may have not had the opportunity that some of the other horses have had and and go that direction with her. Yeah, and she's definitely a looker. She's big, kind of drafty looking and definitely athletic. So I think she has potential to do whatever you would like her to do. Uh, she is located in Yamhill, Oregon. So if you are in the Oregon area or you just simply want to travel to Oregon, check out Evolution on equine.com. Yeah, I hope you guys are checking this out. If you're in the market for horses, there are so many cool ones on a home for every horses program on equine.com. Um, I know the, the internet, Facebook, is making it harder and harder every single day to sell, buy, shop for horses because of Facebook's new rules. Um, so equine.com is an amazing solution for that. And if you look for at a home for every horse.com, that's an amazing solution to find some amazing deals. I've said amazing like six times now. <laughs> so forgive me, but I'm excited about this. It's a really cool opportunity. Yeah, it's simply amazing. Simply amazing. <laughs> and if you do get an amazing horse from equine.com or a home for every horse, please send us a picture at horseandrider at amedia.com. We definitely want to hear about your new horse. And if you found him through this podcast, we would absolutely love to hear and we would love to get updates on how it all works out. We'll probably interview you. You'll be stuck talking to us for a while. Hey, before we go though, guys, please leave us a rating review on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, wherever you're listening. Share a podcast on social media. We would love for more folks to find out about these amazing horses and the amazing horsemen and women uh, behind the Western industry because that's how this grows and that's how we get to tell more stories, do more interviews, and, and kind of expand this format. And let us know if you have somebody in particular that we should be, you know, reaching out to. We're always excited to hear about new up-and-coming people. It could even be like a tack maker. I mean, just anybody in the horse industry. We want to hear. Thank you guys for tuning into the Ride Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed this profile. As always, remember to go subscribe so you get a notification every time we release a new episode. While you're there, why don't you give us a rating? We want to know how we're doing. And this also helps other listeners find us. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. See you next time.